0: Welcome to the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spy Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is joined by Catherine Maley, owner of Catherine Maley Consulting.
1: Okay, welcome to Medical Spy Insider. This is Alex Tiersch, and I've got my... I've got my my sidekick, my cat Mallory, is joined in for this one, so you're going to hear hear her throughout. But on the AmSpa Hotline, I'm very, very happy to have Catherine Maley of Catherine Maley Consulting. Um, Catherine is a um, an MBA, a consultant for plastic surgeons um, and cosmetic derms. She's been doing this for uh, 20 years. She's had her own business for 20 years um, in consulting, and you know, really has has kind of seen this industry go from, you know, back where it was when, when Botox was just kind of getting off the ground and getting going and becoming popular to where it is now. Catherine, I'm super happy to have you. How are you doing?
2: I am great. Thanks so much, Alex. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. I hope to add some value and I'm a fellow Chicagoan like you, so I always like to talk to my people.
1: I know. I, I, that's that's amazing. When's the How often do you get out to Chicago? never. Um, Sweet. I don't
2: go there very often anymore, but, you know, if there's a meeting there, I'll go, but otherwise the family pretty much moved west, you know, we all kind of
1: left. There's like a, there's there's a saying, there's a saying that um, everyone from Chicago loves Chicago, but nobody lives there. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I was thinking, Catherine, I was thinking, um, I was trying to remember when I first met you, because when I came into the industry, 2000 you know, 10, 11, 12 ish. Um, and I started kind of speaking, I, you know, as a lawyer, I, I, I want to say it was like 2011 or 12 or something at, there was a conference in New Orleans. One of the first ones that I went to was like ASPS or something. And that was the first time I saw you and mentioned, I was like, wow, there's so much to learn. Like I, that, it, talk about the difference and how the industry has changed in the last 10, 20 years.
2: You are so right about that, because when I entered this marketplace in year 2000, um, Botox was literally just taking off then, and I just happened to go to my dermatologist named Kathy Fields, and Kathy Fields happens to be Kathy Fields and Katie Rodan of uh, Rodin Proactive Anti yeah. Cream, and yeah. it was the, I think it was something like the second most profitable infomercial ever to happen yeah um so those women were just crushing it like they were just dynamos and i was so um interested in what they were doing and they were all about like marketing and um getting their name out there and um oh it was just so interesting anyway so kathy says why don't you get into the industry because i was going to her for botox and filler already i mean i i definitely had a a face fund even then of like 5,000 a year, just (laughs) on Botox and filler. Um, And I really, I love this stuff. I love the industry. And when I was going to her, um, I really enjoyed her, but I couldn't stand the process. A patient experience in year 2000 was horrendous. They would have you wait forever. I mean, I would wait for an hour. Um, Their staff was uh, just not aware of customer service. They just weren't set up like that. Uh, The mindset is so different. A A patient with a credit card, versus an insurance card it's so different and i remember thinking these women are amazing they said why don't you get into the industry and i looked around and thought oh, why don't I get into the industry? This group could use some help. Yes. Um, you know, how to talk to an aesthetic patient who's an emotional patient versus any other kind of patient who has real pain,
1: yeah. you know,
2: physical pain. Um, it's just a completely different world. So I thought, huh, this is a good place for me to be. And I knew a lot about it. I know patients because I am one.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: I've experienced um, cosmetic rejuvenation for a long time. So anyway, that's how I got in. I just, I saw a need in the niche and yeah. I went for it.
1: That's, that's awesome. It's so, it's, it's so interesting too, because what you're, what you're identifying in many ways is, is still an issue in the industry, even 20 years later that the, the, just the, the marriage of, you know, customer service, business, um, Sales and, you know, kind of retail medicine, for lack of a better word, is just, is really hard for a lot of providers to pick up on. And I mean, back then it must have been, I mean, it must have been just a totally different world compared to what it is now because I, I see now the, 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 and I guess I'll ask you this. What's kind of, um, when, when folks come to see you and, 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 from what I understand, and please, please correct me if I'm wrong here, most of your clients are, are in, in plastic surgeries. Is that right? Correct. And, and, and when they, when they come to see, and a lot of plastic surgeons have med spas, obviously. So that's, that's a, that's a, a, an ancillary, but um, what's, what tends to be their, their biggest concern, their biggest frustration? What are they trying to, to, to solve when they come to you?
2: Well, that can depend on the age of the surgeon and how long they've been in practice. It also depends on are they dabbling in cosmetic or are they completely a 100% aesthetic practice or are they still trying to balance both, you know, functional medicine and uh, cosmetic revenue? So I would say if they've been around a long time, I'll get these calls and it's kind of like the deer in the headlights where they say, What the heck happened? I mean, my phone just stopped ringing, and I don't know what happened. And I say, well, so what are you doing to promote yourself? What do you mean what am I doing? I've been around for 20, 25 years. I'm not doing anything. I mean, I have a nice website, but they haven't put any money into the marketing of the website. And in today's world, I just don't see... You can't just have a nice website. (laughs) There's a lot more to this than that. So the big one would be my phone stopped ringing and what happened and how can you fix that? And of course, it's an SOS call and they want something done immediately. But then when I say, well, you do need to advertise because in today's world, you really do have to pay to play. Um, Organic is almost dead. And Mm. if you don't know that, take a look. You'll, You'll see as you're trying not to advertise, you'll see little by little that, you're not being seen anywhere there's nothing going on for you and that's because um, the big boys all these you know platforms yeah. have decided they have to be profitable so you really do have to pay to play
1: yeah um, yeah I, that's I just, no yeah you. I
2: feel bad for some of them too because they'll call and say I'm not doing all this social media now this is around uh, over the the board of even even the newer guys, the mid guys and the older, um, you know, a lot of surgeons went to school forever and they're not known for being extroverted. I mean, mm-hmm. to, basically, it's a very introverted kind of crowd. And now they have to be yeah. entertainers. You know, they have to be on Instagram. They have to show off their you know dance moves on TikTok. Like, it's <laughs> gotten insane. And they think, first of all, I don't want to be in front of the camera. I'm uncomfortable with that. And secondly, that's where I'm supposed to spend my time. You know, I'm trying to run a practice here and do surgery. Now I'm supposed to be in front of the camera entertaining people. So yeah. that's really taken a lot of these surgeons um, out of their comfort zone.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because when I first um, started – uh, kind of on the the speaker circuit for plastic surgeons. The, one of the things that I noticed right away, because and, and I was by no means young, but um, I I I like sat next to Sheila Nazarian in a particular like in a in a in, in just like we just happened to be sitting next to each other and sort of chatting, and I could immediately see that. That the the kind of the younger generation that was coming up, um, and she's you know she's no longer <laughs> even in that generation, but that that embraced social media and was able to just to just do it. They were at such an advantage right out of the gates. But what I also thought was interesting was that it created a real kind of um, tension between the younger surgeons and the older surgeons, who not only were not super comfortable with. Social media, but there also was this kind of lingering disdain for marketing in and of itself because this is the practice of medicine and we shouldn't be doing. It. Do you remember those 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 times? And do you still find that um, that that kind of that tension exists today?
2: I must say, uh, surgeons, and I think they they're absolutely um, they can keep that attitude where. I went to school for 14 years and I shouldn't have to do this. It it, it has Mm -hmm. a little entitlement to it, which I completely understand. I really do. I I mean, kudos to anybody who went to school that long. I went to night school forever and I just, it was awful. And (laughs) I mean, they went through a lot to get to be a surgeon. So why should they have to do the marketing as well of themselves? Yeah, I completely get that. But if you want to live in the reality of today, you either embrace this or you live the consequences of it. Now, I also have been on the podium with Sheila, and um, I can't, what's your name? What's her last name?
1: Uh, Sheila Nazarian.
2: Yeah. Well, she also has mentioned she spends up to four hours a day on social. Yeah. And so a lot of the surgeons are saying, are you out of your mind? I mean, what can I do with four hours a day? I'll yeah. spend that time with my family or uh-huh. um, doing more surgery or giving better patient care. So you have to really wrap your mind around, how are you going to grow this practice? Because in today's world, it takes you to grow it. And I feel for them. I do. I feel for surgeons. You, you really have to be everything in today's world if you want to compete. Yeah. If you don't and you just want to run a small little practice, no problem. But if you want to play with the big boys, that's what they're doing. They're somehow putting in that kind of time and effort.
1: Yeah, it's that's, that, that's absolutely right. And I, I'm always amazed – Well, I'm no longer amazed when when I talk to, uh, when I talk to um, anyone who's got a substantial following on, um, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, whatever, like it, it doesn't happen by accident. The the amount of time and effort that they put in to get, you know, a hundred thousand followers or 80,000 followers, it, 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 it really is almost a job unto itself. And I just like, my goodness, these people who are doing that and they've got, you know, patients all day and they've got a family and, you know, whatever else they've got going on. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's, it's tough, but if you don't do it, like, you know, if you don't adapt, you'll die. And, and I feel like we're, you know, we're to a point now where it's like, I mean, Instagram crap, and now it's TikTok. Like I don't even, we didn't even, I mean, Instagram is going to, who knows what that's going to be like in a, in a couple of years. Um, so, you know, I, I guess what, well, I want to get at this in two different ways. Um, number one, what do you see are the most successful practices like the the the, the physicians, the surgeons who are the best at running their practice and you know the most successful versus the ones who who aren't is there are there common things that you notice almost every time? Is it the kind of thing where once you get on the phone, you can just tell like, oh boy, I know exactly what's going on here
2: um in terms of marketing or just running a practice
1: well i mean kind of both i mean let's let's start with let's start with with marketing and just kind of let that tail into running a practice in general
2: well um i can tell you when they call me uh one of the first things i want to know is what are you doing like what are you doing right now where right. do you want to where where are you now where do you want to go and then how big is that gap so how can we get there quickly um so when we start with what are you doing now I need to hear how much they're willing to put in versus time or money or getting help marketing the practice. If they're not willing to do any of that or do much of it or put any Mm -hmm. money towards it, then I I do have that, you know, that reality check and say, just so you're clear, while you don't want to spend any money on it or put any effort into it, you have five competitors surrounding you who put 10 times the money into that or Mm -hmm. five times the time into that. So it really is a reality check. It depends on where you're at. You know, if you're in some, I've often said to the guys in these heavy duty markets like Beverly Hills or the jungle of Manhattan, why don't you move to Toledo, Ohio? Like Mm -hmm. like nothing against Toledo, Ohio, but it would be a whole lot easier because it's not just about what you're not doing. It's about what your competitors are doing. So it's like a double whammy there.
1: Yeah, it's um, how how much do you um, like when you're talking to a new client, how much do you go in and take the temperature of their of their competitors and say, well, here's what your competitors are doing? Because, I mean, on one one hand, I'm always, you know, conscious of what competitors are doing, but I don't want to get too wrapped up in it. But with with in like Beverly Hills or New York, you're right. Like you can't if you don't if you don't pay for some marketing, you've got almost no chance of being ranked or anything. Right.
2: Right. Well, what I do is I always act as the patient. I've always been the conduit between mm-hmm. the patient and the surgeon. So I, when I am going to consult with somebody, I just act like a patient and I Google them. And I, I don't Google them. I Google what I'm interested in. Right. That's another big issue. Surgeons have a tendency to talk about themselves and you know right. how brilliant they are. And I get that. But there's a time and a place for everything. First, you just want to talk about the patient. And the pain points of the patient, because you have a patient with a problem, and you have a solution. And at the moment, they just care about your solution. Then they care about you. Right. So th- I see that mistake made quite
1: a bit. Yeah it's it's a it's a balance between you know credentialing yourself, but I, th- I think it was I think it was Stephen Diane who once told me. He's like, um, you know, no matter, you could have a, a 20 year veteran of plastic surgery with the longest CV in the world and they'll be they'll get their ass kicked by the, the, the young buck down the street who's great at social media because they just know how to they just know how to market. So your credentials are less and less important. Um, what are what are some in, in your experience, some common misconceptions about marketing and, and what people do to market their practices or what they don't do?
2: Well, probably that they, you know, they don't think they have to market. Um, mm. that, that's a big yeah. problem. And also, you know, in today's world, all you need to do, I don't, it's gotten complicated. Granted, it's right. gotten complicated. But if you really look at this, what do patients care the most about? All they want, is, a patient cares that they're going to get a good result. They're not going to regret it. And they're going to be happy with their look. OK, so what do they need? They need social proof. If, if you didn't do anything else in your practice, at least put a whole and that's why Instagram so popular. Right. We want to see photos. We want to see the before and after right. photos and we want to see what other patients say about you who have already been down that road that we're considering going down. If you would just do that, everything should be a process. How do you get a good review? That should be a process. Just like you have protocol for surgery, you should have protocol for reviews. And how do you get those before and after photos? Everybody's good at getting the before photo. And then nobody Mm. gets the after photo. And then even if they get the before and after, nobody bothers to upload it to the computer because they don't know how, Uh, you know, technology gets in the way. But if you could just remember the basics Mm. of, what does a patient care about? And then make sure you make those particular things a priority. You can almost win the game, but you still have to do all the other stuff too. I, right. You know, I don't, yeah, you have to get it done somehow, some way. And if you don't want to do it, you know, hire somebody else to do it that you trust, but then make sure you're watching what they're doing to make sure they're actually doing what they say they're going to be doing.
1: Yeah. Um, what, what, so, you know, you come from a, uh, a customer service background and a uh, sales background um, among other things um, and you 're obviously you you 're a self starter you went to got your MBA at night like you said <clears throat> excuse me um, one of the things that i've found and you, you you alluded to this at the beginning is a lot of plastic surgeons have difficulty um, because they 're introverts but but it's it 's not just it 's not just plastic surgeons it's it's a lot of the 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 business owners that we deal with. Um sometimes aren't aren't ready for, for for their own success, meaning they they enter into a marketing strategy, but the key, which is what you just mentioned, is having that process by which you can gather the review, you can take, you know, the patient intake form, get the before and after photos. How much time um, and how important is it to spend on developing those internal processes? Um, one of the things I always worry about is someone runs a, an ad or something, but then they they're not prepared structurally to to handle the patients that come in and you end up just making it worse. Does that make sense?
2: Yes. One of my analogies is, you know, when you invite people over to your house, don't you clean it, prepare food. Everything is prepared before you invite guests to your home. Mm. It's the same thing in our industry, in any industry, especially when you're in retail fun medicine, where you are inviting people to your practice Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: they need to have a fantastic patient experience every single time, no matter what the biggest problem I see is consistency. Our five-star practice is five-star because you can count on having a same experience Every single time. How many times you've been somewhere and you love these people? Love, love, love them. You love your new best laser tech, Sarah. Mm-hmm. You love Dr. J. I mean, it, you it love, love, love. And then the next time you call to make an appointment, nobody answered the phone. Or they hung up on you. Or they were rude or dismissive. Mm-hmm. Or you show up and now they make you wait. You're like, what happened to this group? Well, you know, that is consistency that um, can really... Um, Bring you to the top of the list if you can pull that off. And also, though, um, that's all about staff as well. So if you could get clear, that's what everyone's looking for when they work for you and when the patients visit you, they're looking for clarity. What do you do? You know, what can you do for me? What does the journey look like when I'm interacting with you? And then what happens after that? Like all, you know, follow up and keeping in touch and... Um, That's how you create this, the staff for a lifetime, as well as patients for a lifetime. You know, a lot of staff leave because of inconsistency, because they don't know what's going on. They're confused. Like today, all we care about is selling more laser treatments when tomorrow we talk about, okay, now let's just focus on Botox. Um, that's not how you would do it. You focus on the complete value of a patient wherever they're at in the, Mm -hmm. on the stairway. You know, a lot of patients start with Botox. Heck they start with a facial (laughs) and then they work their way up to microblading or micro needling. And then they finally get to Botox and now they're hooked. And now they want fillers and now they want lasers and now they want surgery or they go the other way around. They first want surgery and now they're hooked because they think to themselves, God, I feel so good about how I look. What else can I do? Especially women, we're terrible with that. Yeah. <laughs> we, we just move to the next body part that we don't like. And then we, you know, focus on that for a while. But if you could um, get into that frame of mind of patient for life, that's mm-hmm. how you win this game as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Because it's costing you a fortune to get a new patient, but keeping that patient is minimal. If you have your processes down. If you if the staff knows what you want from them, if they follow your protocols, then the patient will be more comfortable because they'll understand, oh, okay, this is a really well-run practice.
0: Candela is getting in on the excitement of med spa madness with some great med spa device sales. Offering the most popular aesthetic and body treatments being asked for today, including the popular Ouden E2, Exceed, and VelaShape. Whether your business is seeking new revenue streams through micro-needling, skin rejuvenation, or body contouring, Candela has the products, clinical training, and marketing support teams in place to increase your success. These deep savings end March 31st, so call Candela at 800 733 Eight five five zero extension one, and tell them you're seeking the med spa madness deals.
1: You know what's 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 amazing is that it, it seems it seems so intuitive and obvious when we're just talking about it, but it's uh-huh. so difficult. It's difficult for I mean for me as a business, it's difficult for everybody to just to continue to have those those processes in place. And if you don't, but if you don't have it. Um, like exactly as you said, there, there's just just communication in and of itself. That there's a statistic that that a lot of lawyers like to cite, where it's something like ninety percent of all medical accidents um, can of can be resolved outside of a lawsuit, a medical malpractice lawsuit, if the doctor just informed the patient of what was going on and communicated as to how they were going to make it better, it would solve everything. And it's just like, how do we, you just have to, you just have to communicate. You just have to answer the phone, right? You just have to have those, those processes in place. It's almost like a mindset.
2: It's very much a mindset. Um, I used to run a surgeon's coaching club and we, I said this over and over and over, you get the right people. And we always say this, you get the right people on the bus, you get them in the right seats but you're not done. You give them the tools they need to do the job correctly. You train them and tell them what you expect. And, and that's everything expectations. And then lastly, you're still not done. You need accountability. You need to check in on these people constantly to make sure they're still doing what you think they're doing. How many times have you thought you had a process down and now the staff has tweaked it? And now yeah. months later, you're like, that's not even close to what I thought we were doing, you know? So accountability is everything. And most people never get to that point. The doctor will say, this is what I want. Somebody will write it in the um, like their standard operating procedures mm-hmm. that nobody will ever read again because they don't know where it is. And maybe it's digital and they can't find it, or maybe it's a handbook that's been hidden in the closet somewhere. Um, and then nobody ever tracks anything. You know, Do you record your calls? Do you meet with the staff? I think that's the biggest um, issue with, uh, with surgeons being managers of people or businessmen. You, you have to start thinking like a business person rather than just a surgeon. And again, I'm sorry for that. I mean, they have to wear so many hats and you, ha- it's so important that you block the time for staff meetings. Um, and everyone says, no, I'm, I'm, uh, we don't have time for that. You don't okay. have time not to do the meetings. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I read this before, but you know how it says, you never have time to do it right the first time, but you have time to do it over again. Mm-hmm. And If you could just stop and do it right at the beginning and set up your protocol and make sure the team's aware of it and then have meetings consistently, You will save so much time, money and hassle and grief and sleepless nights because you have a much smoother running operation when you put aside the time to do it right. And that's usually when I get called in because it usually takes a consultant who's charging you a lot of money. um, (laughs) But I can I can put that plan together for you that you're never going to get around to doing on your own. Usually, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: it is. Um, So I. obviously we're with uh, the American Med Spa Association and and med spas are a completely different animal than surgery practices. And one of the, one of the things that I'm continually um, advising surgeons on is they'll, they'll come to either one of our boot camps or they'll reach out to us and they'll say, I want to open a med spa. This, this looks so great. It looks so easy. Everything, you know, this money's just coming in and it's, it's, the almost the hardest thing is to convince them, and, and these are often surgeons who have very successful surgery practices that are very well run. It's to convince them that running a med spa is a very, very different animal than running a surgery practice, and they almost have to get out of their own way and get out of their own headspace and either readjust their thinking that this is going to be you know a lot more volume, a lot, a lot lower. Um, you know, revenue per treatment, revenue per, per provider and, and, and a lot lower margins sometimes and, and get into this idea that you're almost in a retail environment. Have you found that, number one, a lot of surgeons are kind of desperate to open a med spa and it's kind of the, you know, almost the, the thing that they feel like they have to do, but then number two, um, that they tend to maybe not be as astute at running a med spa as they are running, running a surgery practice?
2: Well, it's a completely different business for sure. Yeah, um, I know. Um, before a long time ago, when I first got into this, surgeons doing injectables was unheard of. They would never waste their time doing injectables when they could do surgery. And so, of course, then when when things change in the culture and. Uh, I mean, honestly, I grew up, I mean, I was in San Francisco and the only people who had plastic surgery, the fun kind, were the celebrities and the socialites. And now, um, now that the market has grown and the demand has, I mean, exploded, now everybody's a, a potential cosmetic patient. Right. So now, this now everyone's all stuck going, okay, now what do I do? So the surgeon said, oh, wait, I take that back. I do want to do injectables <laughs> Because... Um, They learned if you don't do the injectables and get to know somebody, you're never going to get to the surgery because there are so many other stops that they're going to make. You know, uh, all these other places are going to go before they decide on surgery. So, boy, that got complicated. So, when the market got saturated, not even saturated, when it just got, you know, the demand increased, but so did the supply. But that means so did the competition. And now everybody's fighting for their piece of the pie. And the rules are just out the window. It's who's ever the better marketer um, Mm -hmm. who can develop a relationship better than somebody else. And that's why I always say, you know, an excellent surgeon will get trumped by an excellent marketer every time. Mm
1: -hmm. Because you
2: have to know how to market in today's world. You can't rest on your laurels and say, but I'm a fantastic surgeon. Yeah, well, you got to, you have to prove it to the world.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's and I can't
2: remember what the question was. What was the question?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I can't remember either. <laughs> um no, it was it was it, it was I I was curious about um you know surgeons running med spas and and, and, and they tend to to just not gotcha. be not be very good at it for lack of a better um way to okay. put it.
2: Okay. thank you for bringing me back yeah. to that because many many surgeons have a med spa. And I say, why? And they'll say, and it's like off site. It's somewhere else. Yeah. And I'll say, why did you do that? And they say, it's a feeder to surgery from another area. Mm-hmm. I have never understood having an MBA. I have never understood the business sense in running a place that you're never at or you're you can't control because you're never there. You hope you have staff that's you can't even manage the staff in your own practice because people change, dynamics change. You know you have to really be on top of it, and to have you running back and forth to another location or having your staff running back and forth, um, I never understood that. I don't think there's I don't think there's enough money in it when you could have stayed in your practice and gone deeper there rather than. Bred mm-hmm. wide and thin, and now you have two rents to pay, many staff to pay, more equipment to buy. Um, I just think you can do so much more, especially when it gets competitive like this. I would say going deep and focusing is way more important than trying to grab some patients from an hour away. It just—I feel like it just—you lose yeah. your focus, and there's so many opportunity costs in in being away from your own practice that you, that you could build most practices, if they would sit still and get good at their patient experience, there's where the money is.
1: Yep. Yep. I feel like everyone's, and this is not just in, in this industry, but many entrepreneurs, myself included, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to keep from chasing the shiny object that flashes yeah. in front of your eyes. And you, and so I remember very distinctly, this was, I mean, five years ago, right when med spas were, were really taking off. And I had a number of surgeons come up to me at a conference and saying, why would anybody open a med spa? They don't make any money. It's just, I've got one and it's just a waste of time. And I was just like, well, you're not doing it right because they are making money. And there's some of them that are making <clears throat> probably more money than you're making um, in their in their pocket. And it's just, it's a different, it's a totally different mentality where the marketing, the processes, the business all comes into play in such a, such a more focused way. Um, it's just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, looking back, you so you're an entrepreneur. Um, you started your business 20 years ago. You're still around, which, by the way, kudos to you because that's amazing. There's most businesses don't make it that long. <clears throat> if you were, and there are a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs and, and budding entrepreneurs that listen to this, what uh, what would you say is the most important thing about running a business, starting a business, just being a business person?
2: Um, knowing your why. Why are you doing this? Because it's got a lot of peaks and valleys to it, boy. I mean, Mm -hmm. running your own show and, you know, you only make money because of your own efforts. That's not to be taken lightly. You know, you really have to have some stamina to do that. The surgeons actually, this is the irony of this. Surgeons got into being surgeons typically because um, it was guaranteed lifetime of income. Right. You know, like they were pretty much set and all of that turned on its head as well. Like I know some surgeons who, you know, are only, you know, good for another two months. You know, when things go bad, they've only got a couple months to to live and then they're out. Um, it doesn't help that a lot of them have huge overhead. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I always look at that and think, wow, you know, live, live like you did as a student <laughs> you know, for a while um, before getting into that heavy, heavy overhead. Um, but uh, gosh, I can't remember where were we going with that? Uh, <laughs> surgeons, oh, I keep losing my train of
1: thought. It's, it's okay. You, I, I asked you what the, um what your, the best piece of advice you had for, for a spy Hiring entrepreneurs, And you said, know your why, which I think is amazing. Um,
2: okay. Know your why, because it's going to be harder than you think. It's going to take longer than you think. And you have to be okay with failing and failing and failing until you get it right. Yeah. You know, I try so many things. And with the industry and the technology changing so quickly, you just have to be so adaptable in today's world and um, just try everything. Like, uh, let's say they say, um, oh, Facebook advertising, that's where it's at. If you try Facebook advertising, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, You have to keep trying and testing and testing, and Facebook keeps changing the rules. So you're constantly trying to figure it out. You have to stay nimble, open-minded, but... The irony of that is, on the other hand, that's where the shiny optics come from. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to really get you'll. They all, there's a saying that you really get to know yourself when you're when you have a, a, an illness, like a really serious illness, or when you decide to run your own business. And that is so true. You f- you see how much pain you can put up with before you sit down and quit. You know, it's, um, that's right. But nothing is taken nothing is taken for granted anymore in today's world. It's gotten way too competitive and sophisticated and Mm -hmm. you really have to stay on your game and you can't rest on anything. You have to keep at it, constantly watching what's happening, especially in our industry too. You know, um, uh, things change like technology changes, uh, cultural things change, patient Mm -hmm. needs and wants change and you're constantly trying to figure out which one of those are you going to chase. For example, do you know how many surgeons... They'll go to a conference and everybody at the conference is saying, oh, um, men, men are great. Men are really catching on to cosmetic revenues like, oh, my God, that's a great new market for you. Here's the problem with that. As far as I'm concerned, coming from a a business perspective as well as a marketing perspective, when our industry is 85 percent females, why in the world wouldn't you just stay there when you have a female who loves to talk to other females? And she's okay, you know, telling people about her experience. How many men do you know um, actually would tell you if they had, you know, anything done? Like, not mm-hmm. men do not stand around chit-chatting about this. They want to get in. They want to get out. They don't want to talk on, you know, Google reviews. They don't, they don't want to. They just yep. it's a much different demographic. So you literally almost are starting a different business. Because now you have to figure out how do you cater and attract and convert men who are not going to be a patient for a lifetime. Most are just going to come and go and yeah. you're not going to see them again.
1: Men have been the kind of newest, greatest patient demographic in aesthetics for the last like 20 years. Like every right. year it's meant this is the year where men are going to be more than, and every year it's, it's exactly 12 to 15% of the market every single time. I mean, yes. it's, it's like, there's, I, I, I completely agree with you. I it's, and I think one thing I always notice and, and this comes from my own experience but i also now as i'm as I'm getting old and gray and i and I see younger entrepreneurs come up one of the biggest mistakes people make is exactly what you pointed to is that they they don't spend enough time in their own backyard like really focusing on what they have developed, wh- who their patients are. And it's almost like you can go out into your backyard, you can shake the tree, oranges or whatever fall off. And, and then you've got, you've got some food, you can do it. Most people are just too busy looking into everyone else's yard, thinking about how you can do it, how you can get more and more more. And it's just, it's, you end up getting stretched too thin and you don't have enough time or enough bandwidth or enough resources to, to, to do it all. And you end up hurting your own house. Do you find that to be true?
2: absolutely when you take your eye off the ball that was actually your golden goose yeah that's that's what usually ends up happening when some, when a practice is in trouble and we look at okay where's the money coming in but where's the money going out usually the answers are always in the numbers and almost the first thing i do i recommend cut cut half the things you're doing half the procedures you're offering half of the The silly, just the silly stuff because Mm -hmm. it's such a distraction that it's taking away from what really, I always just say, follow the money. Who gives you the most money for the less hassle, the least hassle, and who has the longer tail um, kind of lifetime average value for you? Follow, get more of those. Like, don't chase a facial if you can get a package of, lasers plus i used to have this great i used to work with spas all the time the best package i ever did was buy late buy botox and filler and get a free IPL treatment
0: mm-hmm. my
2: god we used to sell that like gangbusters and you know why because lasers botox doesn't catch chicken that quickly you know it doesn't like right. overnight and we all want that instant gratification so we would give them botox but then we would give them a little filler you know, to really show an instant result. And then the laser would be something else that happens, Mm -hmm. you know, soon, but not right that second. And they were, now they now have been introduced to three different procedures and they have a beautiful relationship with the practice, hopefully, because they've returned a couple of times. And now you take their photos and you show them their before photo and then you show Mm -hmm. them their after photo. That's that's how you do it. Now your average order size is more like, let's say fifteen hundred instead of a facial that was one hundred. Right. And hopefully you have a patient for life when you do that.
1: Yeah. Um now you mentioned um a, a couple I think you mentioned, you know, lifetime patient value, which is a I think a a a highly disregarded or, or underrated um, KPI that, that people don't look at. Are there are there some other things that that, that you, um, in your experience, like to look at to kind of gauge the health of a practice?
2: Well, I like to look at their website presence, not their website, the, their internet presence. Okay. How, how much real estate do they own on the internet? Are they active mm-hmm. at all? Because you know, in today's world, a patient if, if a patient calls you and you do have the wherewithal as staff to say, oh, how'd you hear about us? Oftentimes, they'll say Google, yeah. for example. And then when they come in and they fill out the patient intake form, now it says um, Instagram. But then when they get in to do their treatment and they get to know their technician or the doctor and they're chatting and they're mm-hmm. feeling more comfortable, well, guess what the, the answer really is? My girlfriend mentioned you to me, mm-hmm. so... I checked you out on your website and then I headed over to Instagram. Right. And you know, and then I so now I have a much better picture of you and that's when I called. Do you see how it's gotten so zigzaggy now
0: mm-hmm. that you
2: need to be everywhere? And that's that's the challenge. Mm-hmm. You've got to be everywhere the patients are when they're ready. So for example, that's why most play the Google AdWords game. If they're in a highly competitive area Mm -hmm. and uh, I highly recommend you pick one body part, pick one audience and put all your money in that because you have to compete with the other other heavy hitters. So some of these um, surgeons, while you're spending a a thousand a month on Google AdWords, there are others who are spending 10, 15 grand on Mm -hmm. Google AdWords. So they're going to crush you on Google on Google, you know, on that channel. So you're constantly trying to figure my goal in life is for everyone to focus. You can't Mm -hmm. be everything to everybody. Pick something, pick a procedure. Now I'm talking about external advertising, pick a procedure or pick a, an audience, but stay very focused when you're attracting patients, but then way more broad. Once you've attracted them, now you want to cross promote all your other services because a pa- how many times have you heard? <laughs> I mean, I'm not, not you, but your audience, yeah. how many times have you heard? Oh, I didn't know you did that.
1: Yeah. I
2: guarantee you're never getting all of the patient's disposable income. They only see you as a particular procedure or treatment and they'll go elsewhere. They'll, they'll divvy it up. They'll go to, they'll just divvy it yeah. up. The goal is to get so good at what you're doing. Your processes are right on. Your staff is friendly. Your phones are answered like clockwork and keep that patient with you today. Tomorrow, next year, five years, and um, I know this hap- Especially now that it's gotten so competitive, everyone it just feels so. I need I need the money now. I need them to say yes now. Um, yeah. And I I would just recommend play a long game. This is a long game. Um, please yep. look at every patient you get as an asset. It's like a little asset for you, a little money-making asset. <laughs> so yeah. one patient can become, I've done so many studies on this. One patient can be easily be worth one hundred grand to you when they have their own treatments done, they send their friends, they get you some kind of PR gig, mm-hmm. um, their friends send their friends. It's amazing what one patient can do, one good patient. And you know what I hear all the time? Um, they say, oh, oh, we already have, yeah, yeah, our patients always return to us. And whenever I look at the numbers, there's about 100, and this is really weird. It happens <laughs> everywhere in the United States. There are about 100 regular patients. Well, what happened to the other 1900 that are in your database? <laughs> Where yeah. do they go? Yeah, you know, it's well, so the perception is funny.
1: And so, so the the the, the kind of conclusion that, that you're reaching there is that most most people think that they're getting all their return patients, but they're getting just a fraction of that. Is is, is, is that what you huh. find?
2: Absolutely, yeah. they only remember the ones that they see regularly. Right, but they don't remember the other ones because they they haven't
1: been back. Right, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, ha, ha, part of what I always tell people is just, I mean, if you could do one thing, it's just answer the phone when it rings. <laughs> yes. Right, like when there's nothing more frustrating than the phone rings and like I, my my wife was calling a place the other day just could not get anyone to answer the phone. It was, it was just, it was voicemail. It was this, it's like, you've just lost somebody because you don't have enough people to answer the phone. It's just, that's mind boggling to me. You've got, you know, $150,000 lasers in the, in your practice and you're not answering the call when somebody wants to actually come in. It's, it's, it's just like very, very, very basic things. Um,
2: So one of the first things I do when I'm going to work with a practice is, of course, I mystery shop because all the money is in the phone call. And I don't know what has happened. Actually, this is universal. It just is. Everyone pays the receptionist. They're paid the least. They get the least respect. <laughs> they right. have to put up with all the traffic going back and forth. Um, they're often given 13 different jobs. Like they have to answer the phone, and they have to check people in, and they have to check people out, um, and they don't have a backup. So, uh, I if you could just fix your phones, that's typically a 30 percent increase in revenues. Right there. Wow. Plus, if you get that right, you don't have to advertise as often. So, right. um, the, the phones are everything. I love to train staff on how to answer a phone. I noticed um, we do this a lot at the meetings. You know, we talk about phone training. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you the secret to phones. Is to stop talking, you know, be super duper friendly, but follow a script. Scripts are always better because otherwise you start talking and a, a two-minute call that should have been a two-minute call because yeah. you're efficient and you're professional and you both um you know hang up with a smile becomes a 20-minute call, <laughs> and you have now covered their whole life story and you're off on tangents, and then they don't book because now you started some things for them to just think about. Like now they, oh, you said, oh, okay, I better mm-hmm. think about that then. Well, let me give you a call back. If you could just get your phones under control, mm. there's there's your race this year. That's
1: mm-hmm. what I would say. I think that's incredible advice, um, truly, because it's, 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 it's very true. I have that issue. I, mean, I just start rambling on. and <laughs> um, So, Catherine, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I think you've, you've provided some absolutely amazing insight, and I know um, that people are going to be interested. Where can folks find you? And we'll make sure to include this, obviously, on, on our, uh, our website as well. But if someone's listening, what's the best way for them to reach you if they want to talk more?
2: Sure. I have a website. It's my name, katherinemayley.com. And if they're interested, right on the home page, I have a new uh, guide that I created for marketing. Okay. All the ways that are working now to market your practice or spa, it doesn't matter. Um, so it's com, And then if you wanted to um, talk to me on Instagram or DM me, that's MBA Because somebody grabbed katherinemayley.
1: <laughs> and and mayley is M-A-L-E-Y, just so you know. And, <laughs> I appreciate you joining me, um, Catherine. It was, uh, it, was, it
0: was interesting. We'll have to have you back, okay?
2: Thank you so much, Alex. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Catherine Maley, owner of Catherine Maley Consulting. If you're new with us, we would love to invite you to hit the subscribe button. Click it now so you can get AMSPA content delivered to you each time. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.